Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Well, what's up, everybody? Welcome into the Saturday show. Hope you all are doing well on this Saturday morning, wherever you might be along the Wasatch Front or beyond. I'm Jay Catch, joined as always by Michelle Bodkin, my fearless co-host here on this fine program. Michelle, what's up? Uh, a lot of nothing at all. It's it's kind of it's that time of year, man. That's, that's about right. <laughs> March and October are really like the real big, like intersections of sports months because you have so many sports overlapping in those two months in particular. Mm-hmm. They're really fun, yeah, because there's always something going on. But as you mentioned, like there's always things going on at the same time that in our industry we're all covering. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's crazy. It's a lot. I feel like I miss a lot. <laughs> In some ways, yeah. But but at the same time, it is fun having so many things to talk about and cover and keep track of and watch and all that good fun stuff. And and it, there there's some things going on. So <laughs> no, I, I, there's no doubt about that. The best part is is like I said, there's nonstop entertainment and. We have been treated to an incredible first round of the NCAA men's basketball tournament and the and the women's tournament. Uh, Utah just decided, you know what, we're just going to look like the behemoth that we are expected to be. Mm-hmm. So they they're actually is in many ways carrying the banner forward here for the rest of the state because everybody else is out. <laughs> Well, I mean, so, someone's got to do it. So, yeah. so we'll, we'll talk about plenty about that. But uh, as we are uh, typical of how we start each show, let's get everybody's highlight of the week. I'm going to have Sarah, actually, who's producing for us once again this week. Sarah, how are you? So good. What's the highlight of your week this week? Um, I know it's been a week for you. We're yeah, not gonna, it has been a very yeah. busy week. I see but... her every day, so we, I, get, like, I get a lot of the details. Right? Anyways, yeah, continue. She get, he gets all the updates. So <laughs> um, probably I went to lunch. With uh, Jake and Ben, my host oh, yes. of my show, and Nate joined us as well, our our big boss. Oh, Brown, knows, so, Brown knows I'm the boss. Okay. I, d- hey, I didn't even really know this was happening. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> they mentioned it on the show a few times, and I was like, oh, yeah, sure, like, I'll be there, thinking, like, not much of it. And then they were like, no, like, are you actually coming? And I was like, oh, oh, yeah. No, like, I'll be there. I'll be there, yeah. And so, yeah, we just went to the little sports bar down the street, the break. Okay. And uh, ate some food, watched some basketball. Nothing nothing crazy, but it was fun. Okay, it real quick. Fun. That the break is just recently opened. Your your review. I haven't been there. I thought it was good. Okay. So I got the mac and cheese. 
Um, my girl. Because I was also... <laughs> mac and cheese. My <laughs> girl. Burnt ends. Barbecue burnt ends okay. mac and cheese. Ooh, okay. I can respect that. So I got there late because I had to, like, finish up the show and stuff. You had to, you know, work? Yeah, I had to, you know, <laughs> do my job. Crazy. But uh, so I was, like, trying to rush and, like, find something to eat. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to play the safe option and go with no one, like, mac and cheese is the best, you know? Mm-hmm. It was it, very it, good. Well, it's a very, like, it, it's... It's very straightforward, but mac it's hard cheese, to mess up. It's hard. Okay, but when you mess when it up, when it's messed up, it's, it's not good. It's yeah. bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, this was actually very good, very good. I really enjoyed it. So, and I think the guys liked. They got burgers. I think Ben got a Philly cheesesteak, something like Ooh. that, and it all like looked amazing. So I would, I would recommend. It seemed seemed to be a good spot, and it wasn't too crowded, which was kind of nice. That's always a pause. Yeah, so with the, the tourney nice. going on, you just never know. And my, I mean, I know it's it was like a Thursday midday, so that might be why. But <laughs> it was good. All right. What do you got this week? Uh, so Thursday, I drove up to Ogden and uh, checked out. So we had Kenneth Scott on the show yes. last week. By the he way, was, so much fun. I know, so much fun. We'll have to have him back for sure. But so uh, he explained this assembly that they were doing up at Fremont High School. Mm-hmm. I'm actually wearing a Fremont High t-shirt today. Uh, go Silver Wolves. Go Silver Wolves. But uh, he and Robert Johnson and David Kozlowski, all former Utes, but mm-hmm. they are doing some amazing things in the community as far as mental health. They actually call it social health. Uh, well, it's not that it, way to go about it. Yeah. it, it it's, it's a little less stigmatized i think when you when you talk about it that way but they put on this assembly for fremont high school and it was so cool watching them because you could just tell when those kids came in that it was like oh god like (laughs) another lame assembly and like they instantly hooked them and it was afterwards these kids are lining up to take pictures with them trade social media so that they can keep in contact and it just it was really cool uh but david kozlowski specifically is kind of the one spearheading this uh and if you're not familiar with his story i did i did one years ago uh at ute zone you can find it a very interesting story but it led him to become a mental health specialist and okay. he's been doing incredible work here in salt lake and it's leading up to curriculum that's eventually going to be in our high schools to help kids cope with the things that they have to cope with that's awesome it's amazing so i'm working on a story a follow-up story sure. about that i don't know when i'll get to it but i will get to it <laughs> but so I, I just it was such a joy watching them do their thing and connect with people well that stuff is becoming even more like seemingly every day that passes it's more and more important so that's awesome that david's doing that uh, it was fun to have uh, well the thing is about this is there enough athletes that have been through it? Mm-hmm. They can, and as you mentioned, these kids are probably sitting there like, okay, who are these old heads that are coming to talk to us? But yeah. just knowing the personalities of those guys mm-hmm. absolutely would engage them. And all of a sudden they're like, all right, let's do this thing. Yeah. So yeah. that's awesome. And by the way, uh, any of you guys uh, who missed last week's show, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. I actually listened back to it. I don't. I rarely listen to entire shows of, that I've done. It's just I don't like the sound of my own voice. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> but I went back and listened to it. It was just so much fun. Yeah. And we need to do that more often. I actually had – I've had three uh, different sports, uh, I guess, p- p- former players from different schools. Two of them from BYU that have said, 
hey, if you're interested in doing stuff like that, I'm interested in coming in. Come on down. So we're going to do, I think, some more of that yeah. moving forward. And so uh, I would encourage you guys to check that out. Uh, highlight of my week actually was Wednesday night, and it also involves Fremont, funny enough. I oh, was, really? I was up at John Watson Chevrolet on, on Wednesday night. Um, I am lucky enough, I've been doing this for... Man, it's like eight or nine years now. I am the selector for the John Watson uh, Northern Utah High School Player of the Week Awards for both basketball. Uh, so boys and girls basketball during the winter slash spring and also football during the f- during the fall. We had our annual banquet for the for the basketball for the boys and girls basketball mm-hmm. uh, banquet. It's a ton of fun. Yeah, we, we had uh, representative uh, uh, Chris Moore, uh, who represents the first district up there in the House of Representatives in the United States, came and spoke to them. It's just fun because these are athletes who some of them they're done with their careers. Others that are moving on to play Division One football. I think we had people raise their hand. I think we had at that banquet on Wednesday at least. 12 who I think are going to the next level. No matter if it's JUCO, D1, D2, they're they're playing. That's awesome. It's a ton of fun cuz they're just you can tell that they that they're appreciative of people noticing what they're doing cuz basketball, especially on the girls side of things, and we're, we'll talk about this with Utah. Yeah. It can very quickly fall by the wayside and oh, get yeah. overlooked. Mm-hmm. And but it's just fun cuz the the way it is set up that we legitimately each week I go through both the boys and the girls side of things and pick nominees for both sides and we honor them weekly. So it was really fun to be out there and actually get to meet the kids. Yeah. Because I don't meet them during the year. I get to meet them at the banquet. So fun stuff. Oh. Always good times. All right. So we got a lot to cover on today's show. The nice part is uh, uh, we have a lot to talk about as well. So without further ado, let's get to what's the big deal. No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but kind of a big deal really people know me i'm very happy for you i'm very important uh i have many leather-bound books and my apartment smells of rich mahogany (laughs) can i just say at one point in my life i want to have multiple leather-bound books like that's just my that's my aspiration in life to have leather bound like to have the the amount of money to have leather bound books on a shelf behind me or something like that. That's the goal. I don't know. Okay. I feel like it's a status thing. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you need a big like mahogany desk. So you know, with the, a big book shelf behind it. Here's the thing. So I have a grandfather who had one of those big like we're talking like the those yeah. dads. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And moving that thing. I swore up and down I would never own one of those. It was so heavy. So, so heavy. It's all about the status, though. Yeah. Yeah, that one, I guess it is. But that moving that thing was a chore. See, that's why you get it and you pick the place you're going to <laughs> stay in and you're just staying it there. It's there. A good point. I do have to. My parents actually are building a new house and it's supposed to be done in the next few weeks. And they've already said, hey, so what do you got going on in a couple of weeks? And I'm like, I'm busy. <laughs> No, I'll be, helping them. I'll be helping them move everything out of their current place. Moving it. It'll be fun, but regardless. All right, so the madness. Yes. It is here. Yes. And it is delivered in spades. <laughs> we have, uh, for the first time in the NCAA men's basketball tournament in history, we have a 15 and a 16 seed who have advanced in the same tournament. Uh, we have had just all kinds of stuff. So, Michelle, where do you want to launch in here? What, what game or games do you want to discuss mostly? Oh, I, I mean... 
Let's talk all the failures. Okay. I just I because it, it feels like there's been a lot of them and they've come very early this go around. Well, and that's the thing about it is this this weekend, this first weekend of the tournament typically is where you see the most upsets. It, it actually kind of filters out after this weekend where the chalk seems to take over in many respects down the stretch. But the, the fun part is, is just it's nonstop. So I want to start off with Fairleigh Dickinson because I think that they're an absolutely incredible story because they actually did not win their conference tournament. They're, they are the runner-up in the Northeastern Conference. Mm. The reason why they are in this tournament is because Merrimack, who is the actual NEC champion, is in their, they call them, a, it's a four-year transi- transition period. To go from, they were D2, they're going to D1. Well, in those four years, you're ineligible to participate in the postseason at the Division One level. Oh. Merrimack was in the final year, the fourth year of that transition period, wins the tournament because they're not eligible. The runner-up, which is Fairleigh Dickinson out of Teaneck, New Jersey, gets the invite to go to the NCAA tournament. How rude. Uh, and and there are a lot of people out there saying that we need to do away with this rule. And I, I, I get why they're saying it, because there's also another team down in, I think it was Kentucky last year, who had a similar situation where they actually won their tournament and couldn't go as well. That's just wild to me. Like, if if you're so on top of it that you can make that jump yeah. fast and early— mm-hmm. You should get the same reward, and that's the debate that's going on right now. Why? Why wouldn't you give? Like, why? Why wouldn't you let? Like, do I could kind of see if it was opposite. If you were Division One and you were going down to Division Two, you have maybe a bit of an advantage there. You've recruited at a higher level, yeah. You know, so you're an L. Like, I kind of would understand. I don't understand the other way around, though. That doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Uh, you and me both, but regardless, so Fairleigh Dickinson is the recipient of this. They were 20 and 10, I believe, going into the tournament. And what do they do? They go and knock out number one seed Purdue. <laughs> uh, the other thing about this is, is Purdue has Zach Eady, uh, seven foot four big man. He's probably going to be the national player of the year. He's been very good. But the other part about this, which is crazy to me, I was I did, I tuned in this game late as I started seeing people like, "Hey, Fairleigh Dickinson's got a chance here," yeah. so I tuned into it. He's seven foot four. The tallest player on Fairleigh Dickinson's team, six seven. I saw a tweet about that. They're literally like, if you go average that. height, they are the shortest team in the tournament as compared to Purdue, who's actually one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in terms of overall height across the roster. You can't teach heart, man. Well, and that's the thing about this. It was absolutely incredible because, A, they weren't even the best team in their conference. Yeah. They've had a decent season. And by the way, last year, I don't know how people know this, Fairleigh Dickinson, you know what their record was last year as a, as a program? I couldn't even begin to guess. They, Four and 22. I was about to say it. it because you're asking yeah. me, it has to be like a very lopsided losing yeah. record. They honestly, and I think it was Chris Vanini who might have tweeted this out last night, but somebody tweeted out this might be truly the biggest upset in NCAA tournament history. We had the UMBC with Ryan Odom, who's Utah State's head coach, a couple years ago was the first 16 over one beat in Virginia. But for this, you're not your conference champion. You get in on a technicality, but then you also go up against maybe the biggest and one of the most talented teams in the entire field with your undersized roster, and you beat them 63 to 58. I think we're looking at the true Cinderella story of Cinderella stories. Uh, I mean, it is a great story. Uh, I, I, I mean, this is like literally a little guy on the come up story. Like literally, uh, uh-huh. just size size wise. Uh, oh gosh, uh, going going record record yeah, wise. Exactly. Like it's just it just all across the board. 
this is a little guy come up and I am so here for it. This is this is why we watch or even just mildly pay attention, mm-hmm. fill out the brackets. The stories like this. Well, and the other thing about this is because this is not the only one. We already had Arizona go out mm-hmm. um, and I don't know what it is without Arizona. I, I, I were, I'm done trying to convince myself that Arizona is ever going to be nationally relevant again because for whatever reason every year I and I had only picked them to go let's see I have them I'm pulling my bracket here I've got them in the elite eight so okay it hurts my bracket but Princeton come on they're the Ivy League they're the smart kids you shouldn't be losing to Princeton here Arizona if you're the big bad bullies that everybody considers you to be in the in the Pac-12 how in the world are you losing to the Princeton Tigers (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, other than, you know what, maybe we need to give the smart people, the, the nerds, a little more <laughs> a little more credit. So Nerds. Nerds. No. Yeah, but that's the thing about this. It's been a really, really fun tournament so far because I'm looking at my bracket. I've got a lot of carnage up and down my list of, like, the upsets I picked did not pan out. My, my national champion is still alive. Who did you pick to win it, by the way? I picked Marquette. Okay. So I, I'm still in it, and I'm actually third in our bracket challenge. Oh, jeez. I don't even want to look at the bracket challenge. I'm probably getting absolutely murdered there. <laughs> I have Houston winning it all. We'll see. I, I just, on a whim, I'm like, oh, Houston seems like a decent enough team, but there's best players dealing with a hamstring injury, and he played one half of basketball. And he's like, uh, it's tightening up again. I'm like, great. I'm, I'm glad I picked you guys. But, so thrilled. Yeah. But so thrilled. The thing about this is when it comes to tournaments like this, and this tournament in particular, it's been a really, really, really fun watch. Like there have been other NCAA tournaments where you're like, okay, you tune in, you're like, okay, give me the madness. Let, let's see, let's see upsets, and it doesn't necessarily deliver. This is delivered, and I think in some ways it's showing us that the transfer portal slash NIL, in some ways, is actually filtering out talent a little more than it would have uh, otherwise. Because I know that Princeton, they're always going to be the Ivy Leagues. You have to get into school there and everything. But when a 15 seed in Princeton can win, you have a 16 seed in Fairleigh Dickinson can win. You also had a 13 seed uh, in, oh, who was it? Or a uh, Furman. Furman. Yeah. Private school in North Carolina that they're a Johnny come lately in, in some respects. They go and upset Virginia right. as a 13 seed. There's talent. And by the way, Furman's got a guy, I was reading about this, he's an NBA draft prospect. Like, how, how do you get a kid from firm into the NBA? Well, he's got to be a transcendent talent. And mm-hmm. I, I think in some ways, I'm going to get your thought on this, I think we're seeing maybe a little more of the uh, diversification of rosters. Guys are finding opportunities to play, and it may be in an off-the-radar place like Furman. <laughs> uh, I I think that very well could be the case. Uh, I know there was a lot of concern and worry that NIL would do exactly the opposite. Well, in in some ways it has because there's other rosters that are stacked because of it. Right. But uh, I I don't know. It'll be interesting to see kind of continue to track this. Obviously, this is a very new thing still. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe maybe that's not what it is. I I don't know. Maybe people are just getting better and more creative at finding under-the-radar talent uh, and bringing it to their programs because they don't have the NIL advantage. I, you know, it's it's just going to be very interesting to watch. I'm not, I'm not sure why maybe we're seeing a more even playing field mm-hmm. this year. Uh, again, it'll be interesting to see if this continues through, like, next year and we, sure. and we see more of this or mm-hmm. if this is just kind of a really unique one-off 
situation. Well, and that's the nice part about it is you will have history at some point kind of it'll lay out, okay, here's what's happening. Because you have Pittsburgh who played in the first four. They upset Iowa State. By the way, Iowa State couldn't shoot a lick last night. I think At one point, I think like without four minutes ago, I saw somebody say they, sh- they were shooting 19% from the field. Oof, Absolutely brutal that is numbers. Brutal. Yeah, but the thing about this is you're right. We'll find we'll see over time if NIL transfer portal can make it so that some of these smaller teams I say smaller, but I guess uh lesser well known. Is that yeah. easier way to say it? Like they're they're off the radar a little bit. Cause you, you, before this tournament you asked me, Jake, where's Furman at? I would have never oh, I could I couldn't have told you. Fairly Dickinson? No clue. Yeah, never heard of her. <laughs> exactly. So uh, the only reason I found out where Fairleigh Dickinson was at, because PK, of all people, was like those boys from Jersey. Because Fairleigh Dickinson's in Teaneck, New Jersey. And St. Peter's last year, who was the Cinderella right, last year yeah. making the run to the Elite Eight, is also from New Jersey. So so PK playing up his New, his New Jersey pride as a as a <laughs> guy who was born and raised there for at least until he moved to Arizona. So I don't know. it. It's been a really, really fun first two days. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how today and tomorrow pan out because y- you do have some interesting matchups. You have Furman versus San Diego State, which is actually already underway. Uh, if you want coverage of that, by the way, if you're tuned in to us, we're on 97.5 FM. If you want all the coverage of the NCAA tournament, uh, you can head over to 1280 AM. We've been streaming it all day and all night for the last two days, and we'll continue all throughout the tournament. Uh, be Plenty of action today, but it creates interesting matchups because now we have a Utah State crashed out. They lost to Missouri, but guess what? Missouri has to face off against Princeton. (laughs) That's not a matchup I expected to see. I did not expect to see Fairleigh Dickinson and FAU matching up in the second round. FAU beats Memphis. Uh, So you go down this, you have your your Marquette uh, Golden Eagles are taking on Michigan State. Uh, We got TCU versus Gonzaga, St. Mary's versus UConn. By the way, the West Coast Conference has just as many teams in the second round of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament as the Mountain West and the Pac-12 combined. (laughs) So there you go. Well, the more you know. Well, that's the thing. Mountain West, outside of San Diego State, they flamed out again this year. That's the tough part. That that conference is, I think, they're now 1-14, 1-15 since 2019. Oof. It's been a really rough run. And I mean, this is coming from someone, Pac-12 has not exactly been great on the men's basketball front either. Yeah. But, well, I, I think UCLA looks really good. They maybe could do something. We'll see. I, I'm interested to see where that where, how they do, because they face Northwestern. And that'll be interesting to see how they do. Uh, that could set them up against Gonzaga in that in the Elite Eight. Or excuse me, the Sweet Sixteen. Apologies, and that'd be an interesting one because that's like a West Coast supremacy thing. Because mm-hmm. obviously, there's all the rumors involving Gonzaga because they go to the Pac-12, they go to the Big Twelve. Well, you know, you know the storyline when if that ends up happening. Oh man, this one's for all the Pac-12 marbles, huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know. It's, just, it's one of those fun things. So uh, I would encourage you guys, just enjoy the tournament. Uh, the other thing about this, don't get too uptight. This is my PSA. Don't get too uptight about your bracket. Just enjoy it. There are people that get way too wound up about their brackets and, like, falling apart. Sarah, did you do a bracket for the challenge? No, I had full intentions. You and David James. I had full intentions of doing one, but like we said, it's been a week, so I never got her. And right when I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to fill one out, it was, there was, like, three minutes left to do so. so. Oh, I filled mine out about two, so. Yeah. I literally just like, okay. By the time I, I made, it, like, made an account and yeah. got logged in, it was like, well, it's over. I can't. Who so. were you going to pick to win it, though? I don't know. Okay. Because everyone, 
I don't know. I feel like it's going to be a sleeper team, though. Just with how things have turned out, I feel like some Cinderella, some little small school is going to go all the way, and it's going to, like, shock everyone. All right. Go Knights. Fairleigh Dickinson. That's that's Sarah's team. We're, we're assigning you the 16 seed. See how far they can go. All right. We'll come back on the other side. I, I want to talk a little bit about the Utah Jazz. The NBA season is coming down the stretch. The Jazz are finally back in action tonight. It feels like they've taken like a miniature all-star break. They had They played Monday and haven't played since. Weird scheduling quirk, but we'll get to that. Also, 11 o'clock, uh, we're going to dive in and look a little bit at Utah football as they begin spring ball Tuesday, correct? Yes. It's coming quick. Uh, BYU just finished up week two of their spring ball yesterday. We'll get to some of that. We'll also get to five minutes of technical fouls. You guys know how we do. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. More in a moment. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the KSL Sports. I'm Michelle Bodkin, Jake Hatch, along for the ride. We're going back to the country motif this week, Sarah. Yeah, we are. Okay. okay. <laughs> I was tempted to do it on Jacob Ed show, but I was like, you know what? I don't want to put him in a bad mood. Darius Rucker is always a good choice, though. Come on. Classic. When you can make the transition, I don't know how people know this, but he was Hootie and the Blowfish. And, blowfish. And, then, yeah. and then transfer over to doing country. That's a pretty incredible like career Jump. arc. Yeah. I am a big fan of Hootie and the Blowfish. I have not followed him since he went country. Have you not heard Wagon Wheel? Or this, this is oh, I have this up a little bit. I've never heard this, but really? I don't. I don't listen to country. I have heard Wagon Wheel though. Okay. I have heard that. The fact that we don't have Wagon Wheel in our system is kind of surprising to me. Have you searched in like the all audio, like the vault that has like literally everything? I haven't, but like I feel like it that takes like 15 be... minutes for it to actually you know yeah, open load. up. But yeah. anyways, <laughs> I feel like that should be a given though, with the Wagon oh, Wheel yeah. being like something we win oh, in the state. That's true. Well, that's a it's the rivalry between BYU and Utah State, the battle for the old wagon wheel. Um, there is a former BYU punter, Johnny Linehan. Uh-huh. I don't remember him. He's from New Zealand. Uh, he actually went and recreated his own music video of the wagon wheel. And the, it, let's put it this way. Was it not good? <laughs> it was better than I thought it was going to be. Still not great. Ah. <laughs> but, but what I expected going in versus what we got Actually, better in a way. Oh, so, okay, yeah. okay. I don't know. I can appreciate that. One of those things, <laughs> just like those things that come directly around. Like, oh, okay. Because there was also the because um, both BYU and Utah have had those unfortunate um, fan videos that have come out in, uh, over the years. Where like we're going to teach you how in the student section to fan. <laughs> Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain, Utah. Uh, and then at BYU, it was the... So gross. Oh, uh, what was one at BYU? It was what song were they... Oh, Don't Stop Believing. We're going to teach you how to sing Don't Stop Believing. It's like, everybody knows how to sing this song. Yeah. <laughs> Just stop. 
And oh, by the way, that song came out before you were probably even alive. Exactly. So like, don't you dare start telling fans how to sing that song. Just like, what? it's been a bar staple since before you were alive. I just I, I like. Anyways, random stuff that in sports media over the years that you observe and you're like, like don't. No. <laughs> about that life. All right. Anyways, um, real quick, I-, I meant to ask you this before we hit the break. Uh, Utah women yesterday. Mm-hmm. Absolutely awesome. I thought Alyssa Peely was going for 40. Uh, she could have if she, she stayed in. If, if they had had her stay in, I mean, she was it's close to a triple double. Yeah. So she it was 33, 8 and 8, correct? Mm-hmm. Pretty impressive performance. Uh, okay, was this – they go up against Gardner-Webb. They blow them out. They're 15 versus 2. So you, you, Utah did what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Was it everything that you expected? Because you've obviously been covering Utah at, at every game. You've been in there watching them. It was, was this what you expected for their opening round matchup for the Utes? It was what I was at least kind of hoping for. Okay. Um, it just – it felt like kind of towards the end of the season uh, they were a little worn down. And so it, it just that that part of it, I was like, oh, I just don't know what to expect from you guys. I don't know if you're going to be a little bit rusty. Mm. I don't know if you're going to come out looking really well rested. And it turned out came out looking pretty well rested. I mean, those girls were flying up and down the court. That was such a fast paced game, mm-hmm. really from both sides. Uh, I I was stunned at how quick and fast everybody was moving up and down the court. There was a lot of hustle last night. Well, and that's the thing. We had Lynn Roberts on with DJ and PK on Monday. And uh, PK's first question to her, he's like, so, Coach, you haven't played in two weeks. What have you been doing? <laughs> and like, But but she, but she's, she laid out, she's like, it's actually in some ways we've had a real opportunity to heal up and, yeah. and get rested up. And, but there's always that concern with extended layoff. Mm-hmm. That you, you kind of lose your edge. Yeah, you lose your edge, you get rusty. But you're right. The way it looked is like no, they're they're ready to roll, and they that's exactly what they did. They were flying around. the The one thing, the one thing that was not great was the turnovers. They they can't do that again. Well, and that's kind of the thing that a lot of times when when you have layoffs, that's the, the yeah the that's... sharpness of your passing and that type of stuff can go. It's like a golf game. I don't mm-hmm. know how much you play golf, but I don't. The, okay, well, <laughs> I'm I'm ready for golf season right now. I'm trying trying to get tuned up as they say right it's been a brutal winter i have swung very few of my clubs but the first thing that goes when you don't golf is your short game your touch around the greens like Mm -hmm. putting chipping it's the same thing with with basketball is just kind of that sharpness the the little things and Mm -hmm. turnovers you're right they got to clean that up yeah that that will not fly i think especially against princeton Mm -hmm. Uh, i didn't get to watch a whole lot of that game but i watched the last four minutes when they were down by i think about 10, something like that, and they managed to come back and win that game. And it was largely because they play great defense. Yeah. They are very, very aggressive on defense. And so, you know, turnovers like that are not going to bode well against a team that plays defense. Well, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, what time do they play tomorrow? We get to 5 p.m. 5 p.m., okay. Good. Hey, that's actually a really good... That's not bad. Yeah, I was still maybe hoping a little earlier in the afternoon, but I I will take the five p.m. That works for me. At least it's not yeah, not like an eight p.m. Like hey, we're sticking you late at night. Yeah, have fun. (laughs) Yeah, but should be fun. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Utah back in action against Princeton tomorrow. Uh, By the way, Princeton having a good run here on both the men's and women's side. I know. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing when we were talking about (laughs) go Tigers. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Coach. Uh, Okay, but. 
so I, I, I talk about Utah here to kind of transition, talk a little bit about the Utah Jazz. Because we talked about Utah having, it was nearly two weeks, right? Was it 13 just, days? Just days? about just about two weeks. I think technically one and a half okay. week. But. So still quite an extensive layoff. And be, the Jazz have gone through a similar setup here. They played Monday night. They came, they're came. they coming off a six-game road trip that covered 13 days in and of itself. They went all over the country almost literally. <laughs> Quite the travel itinerary they had. But they get back from Miami on Tuesday. They took essentially a day and a half and just said, if you come in and shoot, do that, but take some time. Like, decompress. Because they don't play again until till tonight. Mm-hmm. They've had a – in the NBA realm – the Jazz have had maybe one of the biggest layoffs I've ever seen for a team that's not an all-star break. Huh. Like, you have five days off. I, I'm sure that Will Hardy and the guys are like, all right, um, it's the whole, uh, what's that meme from uh, the Chappelle show? Like, you got some more of that. Like the, oh, yeah, yeah, the crack dealer yeah, or whatever. It, like, you got some more of that, but you got some more of that basketball. The Jazz, they're used to playing every other day. Right. You get into a routine and – Back to backs, you play more often than having f- almost four and a half ish days off in a row. You're going to be like, hey, we need to get back out on the court. And they have practiced the past two days, and that's always a good thing to get your team back together. And uh, Will Hardy said it on Wednesday, I believe, was when they had media available. It might have been Thursday. And he said that it's been good to take a break, but we need to get back on the court. And it's actually an opportunity right now, late in the season, to kind of – we talk – he said we talk all the time about stuff we want to do in these games. Yeah. We talk game plans, uh, what our philosophy is. When we finally get a chance to practice, it's – Actually, getting out on the court and doing the all what you've been talking about, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll see what happens because I'm interested to see how they respond here. Because the <laughs> DJ said this, and I completely agree with him. The front office has done everything they can within their power to help the Jazz tank. They have traded away <laughs> all kinds of parts this season, before the season, in season. They have stripped it down. Try and all Will Hardy and this Jazz team have done though is they just go out there and battle every night. And I think in some ways it's actually admirable what they're doing. But at this point, uh, there are Jazz fans who are like, just give it up. Right. I don't think they're going to give it up. They're probably still going to lose more than they win down the stretch here. But I don't expect this team. There's 13 games left in the season. I could see them going like a 4-9-ish and ish type of a record. But I'm, I'm telling you right now, Michelle, I'm going to get your thought on this. Every one of those 13 games – I'm going to bet that the Jazz are giving it everything they've got. I mean, that's just kind of what they've shown from the jump. Like I said, they... It doesn't matter who they have. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, it feels like at least that core mm-hmm. that actually, you know, coach and, and the guys actually playing the game mm-hmm. understand that they have something and, and they're going to try their darndest. It might not look the best. <laughs> they might have a terrible outing or a terrible night or not be able to get it done. But I just don't think they're going to roll over and be like, well, whatever. That just hasn't been their MO from the jump. Well, and that's the thing about this. You're right. They and we had Brian Geldzeiler. I don't know how people know him. He he works for Sirius XM NBA Radio, and he's he's been a staple of DJ and PK. I guess not a staple, but he's been a guy who's been on our show regularly for years. He actually came on earlier this week, and I actually made it a promo. And he talked about the fact he's like, okay, this Jazz team. Yes, are they the most talented team? No. Is Lowry Markinen uh, probably a, a grade A number one option for a contender? Probably not, but he's a, a fantastic piece to have right now. And he talked about the fact that 
the nice part for the Jazz right now is after all the crap they went through last season, jettisoning almost the entirety of that roster and then rebuilding on the fly. He said, you got a great young head coach. You've got a bevy of draft picks coming in now. You have flexibility with the with the salary cap uh, somewhere in the, I think it was, at least, it's at least $50 million, I mm. think, coming up for the Jazz. They got plenty of money to spend. He said, they have completely reinvented themselves in one year, essentially, to where they're actually a very attractive team on the come versus the one that feel like they had they'd maxed out literally every possible thing they could do previously. I mean, that's that's something to hang your hat on. That That's hard to do. That is really hard to do, to manage things in a way that you go from kind of maxing out every possibility yeah. you could have had to all of a sudden opening things up and having something that's workable. Yeah. It's maybe not perfect yet, but it's workable and it makes you not look bad until you can maybe fill in with some of the possibilities you've opened up for yourself. I cut color me impressed that that's, We've seen a lot of teams do a lot worse with a lot more. Well, and <laughs> you're, you're right, and that's the thing about this is there are there's an opportunity still for the Jazz to go out and make the play-in slash playoff if they string together some wins. But at the same time, with how densely packed the Western Conference has been this year, you drop a couple of those games, and suddenly you're got lottery odds in the top ten. So. Very interesting to see where this ultimately goes. But I'm all, going back to my original point is having this this big layoff for the Jazz. I do wonder tonight they're going against the Boston Celtics, and Boston is the team that Danny Ainge has built into what they are. They're a title contender and got great players in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, most notably. But also guys like Marcus Smart on that roster. I'm interested to see because that team's been playing. They've been on a road trip here and they've been playing more regularly. The Jazz, in theory, similar to Utah, should be the more well-rested team. But I want to see the Jazz. One thing that's plagued them all year, similar to we talked about Utah, turnovers. Mm -hmm. How sharp are they going to be tonight? And that's going to be, we're going to find out real early, it feels like, how how sharp the Jazz, or how much work they got done and how how they're working together early on in tonight's game. Right. Yeah. It's going to be very clear how well they balanced getting the rest that they maybe need versus cleaning up the things that they maybe need. Uh, And I I would be shocked if it takes more than a quarter to figure, kind of have a feel as to, you know, how how well they understood the mission. Yeah, and that's that's the thing about this. This has been a really interesting year to cover the Jazz because they're 33 and 36, but I've got to admit – for a sub-500 team, it's actually been a pretty—this uh, sounds almost so counterintuitive in my brain. It's been a very uh, entertaining sub-500 team, if that makes sense. That, like, they've just been—the storylines jettisoning almost the entirety of their roster. They traded away three uh, rotation guys at the trade deadline, brought back very little in return. Like, they have done everything to tank, mm-hmm. and despite it all, they just continue to go out there and grind. I, I get what you're saying. I I think, and not, I don't know how well fans can necessarily pick on, up on oh, potential. Social media has been um, all over the place on that. Some, some fans can, but I think the larger group, mm-hmm. I, I think, has a little hard time discerning from 
like a team that's just bad yeah. and a team that has a lot of potential, but they need pieces. And that, I mean, that's kind of what I always remembered from Utah's second five and seven year mm-hmm. in 2013. I know fans were very mad. They wanted, you know, wit fired. They wanted everyone benched. Hashtag fire wit. Yeah. And my whole thing was, I thought there was a lot of potential there. I thought they actually had done a lot of work to fix a lot of what plagued them in 2012. Mm-hmm. But the record was the same. But the product just looked very different by comparison. Uh, and sure enough, 2014, they turned it on and they've been turning it on ever since, cranking it up a notch pretty much every year ever since. And maybe the Utah Jazz is on to something similar. It's going to be a curious case study in a way to to see, where, as you mentioned, where it goes. Because if it does feel like they've kind of rebuilt this on the fly and they're kind of the they're like they could have easily bought them down. They could have pulled an Oklahoma City, a Philadelphia 76ers where they're just like, uh, Lowry, you've got a hangnail tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, better, better set this one out, bud. <laughs> Rest that up. Like load management, all the, all those other BS excuses that teams <laughs> have used over the years for guys to sit out games. But it, it's going to be an interesting case study to see, okay, did Danny Ainge kind of buck the trend in a way as an executive here and like almost circumvent having to truly bottom out and get the Jazz right back on an upswing and and do it in it'd be about it'd be about eighteen months time mm-hmm. and that would be really interesting to see similar to what the NCAA tournament over over time you kind of see where things yeah. go. It's going to be a, a interesting case study with this squad in particular to see where it ultimately pans out with because. Mm-hmm. Danny's built up. He built the Celtics in. They won a title in 08, obviously, with yep. the core. He jettisoned that entire core, fleeced the Brooklyn Nets in the process, which <laughs> is still one of the funniest and lopsided trades I've ever seen in my life. And then he's re, he rebuilt them again. They haven't won a title yet, but they're they're in the mix. The, that Celtics that. team that he, that, he, that he built. Can he do that same thing in Utah? We're about to find out. All right. Uh, we'll come back on the other side. We'll get to what uh, to technical fouls, uh, rewarding people for behaving badly in sports. Some, I think some dis- decent ones this week. Uh, we have one from last night in the NCAA men's basketball tournament we'll get to. We'll get to all that next. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. You're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet. That's a technical foul. And if you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle Bodkin, Jay Catch, along for the ride here on the Saturday show. It is time, as you heard, for technical fouls. Uh, and I actually want to start off with Sarah's here because uh, it's it's one of those things. Because people are freaking out about this, but it happens. It just so happened that this gets a bigger profile because it happens in New York. Go ahead. All right. So I don't even follow baseball, but when I saw this, I was like, this is my technical foul. Okay. It has to be. 
So it's a good one. Mets... I was gonna go with if you, if you didn't go with it, I was gonna go with it. So yeah. <laughs> so the Mets All Star closer was playing in the World Basketball Classic game against Edwin Diaz. Yep. Against the Dominican Republic, he played for Puerto Rico. They mm-hmm. won, and he injures himself, tears his patellar tendon. Yep. In the celebration yes. of the win. After throwing a perfect ninth inning to close it out. Yes. And most likely will be out for the 2023 season. It's an eight-month recovery, yeah. roughly. Yeah. Ridiculous. Like, come on. During the celebration. Not during the game. The and, celebration. Well, And here's the thing about this. It's caused all kinds of people to say that the World Baseball Classic, which he is participating in, needs to be done away with, blah, 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 blah. Okay, here's the problem. Gavin Lux, who is expected to be the Los Angeles Dodgers star shortstop this year, a week into spring ball, tears his ACL running the bases in a spring training game. People are like, well, he's playing in a meaningless game. Okay, there's nothing more meaningless than a spring training game, and you lost a potential all-star shortstop to a torn ACL. So should we do away with spring training games? Yeah. So, I don't know. I know Diaz pretty well because he actually was the Mariners closer before he got traded to New York. He's Really, really good, and it's unfortunate. It's, I, I, we were talking on the break about this. Christian Zendejas was an Arizona Cardinals kicker who did a backflip, landed, and tore his ACL after kicking a game-winning field goal. Crap happens. Folks. It happens, but I just it feel bad for the guy. Yes. But it made me chuckle because I was like, "Really? Come on!" <laughs> the good news for him in baseball, he has a hundred and two million dollar contract, and guess what? Every single diamond penny of that thing is guaranteed. Good for him. All right. Yay. All right. Uh, Michelle, I'm going to go with mine real quick because I want to get to yours last. Okay. Um, so Dan Orlovsky is an ESPN personality. Uh, he's got he's famous for having run out of the back of the end zone, if you recall, mm-hmm. uh, playing for that 0-16 Detroit Lions team. Uh, I missed this until I was reading this just barely. But on social media this week, uh, he was talking about uh, how many times he uses his towel to dry himself off after his shower. Uh, he was uh, talking uh, with Marlon Humphrey, who's an NFL safety, and uh, Marlon Humphrey said he wants like a full body, like you know, like those the air blowers that dry your hands off in certain. Right. Way. He wants like a full body one of those. If if he like say why hasn't that been invented yet? Well, Dan Orlovsky responds to his tweet because uh, Marlon Humphrey said, "Does anyone really like towels though?" Dan Orlovsky responds, to "This question is: How many times do you use a towel post shower till you throw it in the laundry?" I'm like 30 times or so till it goes in. 30 times? You go a month? <laughs> um. <laughs> like. Um. It, people are responding. Tom Hart, you are a disgusting human being. Humphrey, 30 times. Honestly, I don't know about that many. LOL. Sam Monson, a pro football focus. By that time, the tell just walks itself to the laundry, doesn't it? <laughs> that. Basically. He really um, exposed himself. Why would yeah. you say that? I, I mean, you Why have would you to admit to that? <laughs> Look, here's the thing. Like, we humans, we're disgusting. And we try to sure. play like we are not disgusting. I'm as disgusting as a human being. My wife will tell you. I use a towel for at least like a week straight or whatever. And she'll be like, I'm tossing it. I'm like, okay, great. 30 times? Yeah. Even for me, who I'm a dude, that's a bit much. Well, at some, time, at some point in time, it does get crusty. Like, it does. Yeah. Starts to smell a little and, bit. And that's maybe, like, the cue it needs to go to the laundry. A little musty. Oh, yeah. 30 times. Okay, here's the thing. He's not the only one who agreed with him on this. Ryan Leaf, the former Charger, obviously he does yeah. stuff with the Pac-12 now, responded also on social There's a trail of this. This is on social media. Oy. I'm probably right there with you, Dan. 30 or so reminds me. I need to go wash my shower to- oh, towel. <laughs> 
We all have our things, but that doesn't mean yeah. you need to openly expose yourself and admit to it on social media. No, that that's for you and you alone to know about. Oh and maybe your significant other, if such a thing exists. <laughs> well, yeah, so, you know, good times, apparently. Dan Orlovsky and Ryan Leaf apparently don't wash their towels very often. Anyways. Yeah. All right, Michelle, okay. what do you got for us? Uh, so I am going back to all the drama between the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Okay. I feel like the story has taken has taken a crazy shift. It give it three days and it shifts, but yeah, it, it might shift back. Yeah. Like I mean, you just don't know. Yes. But it's now potentially looking like people were maybe paid or persuaded in some way to report on stuff that was not true. Yeah, there are allegations that Endeavor, a PR firm, has been influencing some of the storylines, especially from the Big 12 side of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're a PR firm that's worked with a bunch of different sports clients, but they've been contracted with the Big 12. There's allegations out there uh, that they essentially have been, I say, influencing some of the storylines. Right. Now, I, to my knowledge, I have not seen a paper trail of this. It Correct. will be interesting to see if anything ultimately gets uncovered. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that we're even having this conversation, uh, you know, sh- shame on us as an industry that it, it's gone to a point where people don't know whether or not they can trust you and trust whether or not you're vetting sources out and double and triple checking before you report on something and and even you know giving a shadow of a doubt that maybe people are taking money Mm -hmm. and not even investing themselves in doing the job that's just so criminally wrong uh and again this is sports we're not reporting on things that save lives or you know, it, it it's all for fun. And so if you it's start, supposed to be fun, yeah. If you start having these questions about something that's really just supposed to be fun, it opens up a whole can of worms mm-hmm. as to well, what about the serious stuff? There's a thing called credibility out there, and as a sports journalist, you you want to have that credibility because when you go with a report, you want people to be like, okay. If they say this, there's likely, you know, some truth or they're on the right track or if it ends up not being right, they'll be the bigger person and say, hey, I found evidence that shows that it's actually X, Y and Z when Mm -hmm. I thought it was A, B and C to start. Correct. And so the, the, the situation at hand here is. There are people that – it's very clearly defined. I actually described it. I was on my podcast, Locked on Cougars, talking about this. We have – I'm calling the Pac-12 camp, mm-hmm. and we have the Big 12 camp. And in, in some ways, it reflects kind of the political structure of our country. Oh, 1,000%. There, there's one side of the aisle, aisle – there's two sides of the aisle. You're on one side of them, and there are media personalities, writers, talking heads, radio hosts, whatever, that are on one side or the other and are propagating – their side, the, their truth versus – and the interesting part, as you talked about, is that if these allegations of this Endeavor group, if they have truly influenced media members 
let's say on the Big 12 side of the aisle over here, to go and spew and report and say things over here, and there's a paper trail of it, that is going to forever alter the credibility of those journalists. The thing about it, and I'll also say this. As journalists slash, in our case, in my, well, in my case, I work in radio. You're obviously, you're, you're doing more written. You're, you're more of a capital J journalist than yeah. I consider myself to be. You're never going to bat 1,000. No. You're never going to be perfect. No. But you also don't want to be hitting 300. Right. Right. And so, and, and just to kind of wrap this whole thought up. Yeah. Because I've been doing my own digging. Yes, you've been great work. I've been yeah. try, trying to... To me, it looks like the Big 12 stuff uh-huh. is a bunch of bunk. It, I haven't been able to find any proof. I will happily change my opinion if someone yeah. can point me in that direction. Sure. I have yet to have that happen. But the one scary thing that has mm-hmm. come out from asking around about stuff is I had one source tell me, you are the first person that has ever come and asked me if anything is true. Interesting. That yeah. is horrifying. Yeah. That is horrifying. Well, it's our job to ask questions yeah. and try and find the truth. Well, and that, that, that's the thing about this is it's going to be interesting to see where things ultimately pan out. Like, I'll say it again. I still fully expect the, the Pac-12 or 10 schools to stick together. Mm-hmm. I still expect them to get a media rights deal. My biggest thing is the posturing that's going on amongst and we're, I'm not talking about the media I'm talking about now from the there was uh, Rob, Robbins from Arizona spoke oh, out yeah. Michael Crow from Arizona State Mark, Mark Harlan here on our station spoke out the, the posturing that's going on is going to be interesting to see where where the actual numbers lie and how it's all going to shake out I think that they are going to stick together for the time being the only issue I am going to have with it is the way I'm perceiving it right now is that I don't want them to come out and say we're we're in lockstep for forever. Oh no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. This is just to get through until the next deal, uh-huh. and then everything's up for debate it's again. Ba- it's back. It's back into the mixer. Yeah. And, and here's oh gosh, we need to we need to go to break. Here's the thing though: is from my perspective, uh-huh. I think everybody's a little too comfortable that it's obviously going to go the next round. The Big Ten and the SEC are going to break everything up. I think there's two other possibilities that happen, and that's you see people going back to where they started from, so UCLA Mm -hmm. and USC going back to the Pac-12 because of the college football playoff and and the easier path. The other thing I can also see as a potential is that somehow the ACC, Pac-12, and Big 12 kind of merge and come up with their own to try and counter. Yeah. I just think there's more possibilities of what could happen in the next five to six years than what people are actively talking about and thinking about. And there's probably two or three options out there that we're not talking about because it's just so out there. And until all the pieces (laughs) fall into place, like no one would ever guess that that would be a place that all this could go. But I just don't I want to encourage people that if it feels very obvious, it's probably not necessarily the answer. Like a lot changes Mm -hmm. in five, six, ten years. Yeah, well, and to your point, if there is a paper trail, it's going to forever alter perception of certain, whoever whoever gets caught up in that. The other, the other thing, the, uh, we really did hit a break, but <laughs> I'm going to add one, one final note on this, is that wherever it shakes out, nobody in many ways has covered themselves completely in glory on either side, let's be no. clear. But the, it's just so funny to me because 
there are people who are like staking almost everything on this individual story. And I'm like, this is not the story that necessarily you want to like. This is not the hill to die on. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a fun story. and It's generated millions of clicks for everybody involved. My podcast, your coverage at KSLSports.com, a million other websites who have covered it. It's generated all kinds of intel. But the the almost like all or nothing feeling with certain people and staking their reputations on this, I'm just like. Yeah, I don't know that it's quite worth that because, again, <laughs> unless you're in that room, yeah. you don't know. You don't know. Well, and really the only people who truly know – are Klyovkov, his group of people inside the Pacto office, and then the, truly, even some of the ADs may not know all of the details. Mm-hmm. It's the chancellors and university presidents. So uh, Taylor Randall up at Utah, Robert C. Robbins at Arizona, Michael Crow at Arizona State. Those, those are the people yeah. who have the full picture. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Anyways, <laughs> crazy, crazy times. And it, you're right. If the Big Twelve it does come out, they were tampered with, or the media were being influenced, and I guess vice versa. Also, same thing on the. Nobody's going to come out of this looking great if that if that if there truly is that paper trail. Oof. Wait and see. Yeah, I know. It's another, just... another case study, perhaps. <laughs> Crazy times. All right, we will come back. We're actually going to stick with the college football side of things. We're actually going to talk about on the field. Uh, Utah going to be beginning spring ball this week. BYU just finished uh, their second week. We'll talk more about that. This is the Saturday show right here on ninety-seven point five FM, the KSL Sports Zone. KZNS FM Colville, 1280 KZNS AM Salt Lake City, and KSL FM HD2 Salt Lake City Midvale. This is 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. the Saturday show. Hope you guys are doing well on this Saturday morning up and down the Wasatch front. Um, and our good friend Clint weighs in. He sent this uh, tweet right as we were la- at the last segment. You're way late to break. I said, uh, calm down over there. I blame Bodkin KSL Sports. So It kind of was my fault. <laughs> it's like, all right, no. You know. <laughs> it's okay. It was my fault. <laughs> but here, here's the thing. like The nice part about sports talk radio is it, it the debate. That's yeah. the thing about this. Like the whole embrace debate thing. Okay, that's just a stupid slogan, but it's, it's kind of what the it's... point of this is. So Exactly. All right. Uh, we got a lot of things to still cover, but I want to take a minute here because Utah is going to begin a spring ball on Tuesday. I was down at BYU yesterday. They actually got outside on their uh, turf field outside yesterday for the first time all spring. They finished uh, their second week, uh, six practices of spring ball. But, uh, Michelle, there's – Obviously, a ton of storylines around Utah, and obviously you as the Utah insider here at KSL Sports and KSLSports.com. What is uh, one or two of the chief storylines you're going to be monitoring this spring? That is not the Cam Rising conversation. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did do an article with five story mm-hmm. five storylines. Obviously, the Cam Rising one is one. I sure. And I do think that's very interesting. I think Utah's in a very unique position to kind of address the future without having to fully 
go to the future. Okay, okay, that's actually okay. I'm okay with that storyline. So go with that one for a minute. Okay, here. so explain that. Yeah, so I mean, my whole point is, you know, Cam is going to be out for a while, right? So this really gives Utah an opportunity to explore what they have behind him that will still be here after he's done Correct. after this year, yeah. and really work on it, really get them up to speed. And just kind of have them maybe a little more ready to go next year when, like, there isn't the safety blanket of Cam Rising here, assuming that nothing goes wrong Mm -hmm. with his recovery. That's a very unique position to be in, to to say, we have a starter, we can't use our starter for a while, we're confident in him coming back, but in the meantime, we can sit here and really work on what the future is going to look like and maybe have a really solid backup. Now... Who are, uh, for those of the uninitiated, who are those quarterbacks? Yeah, so we have... Um, of course, of the course, pig farmer. Of course, yes, Bryson Barnes. Yeah. Uh, we also have Nate Johnson, who came in as a freshman last year. Brandon Rose, who also came in as mm-hmm. a freshman last year. So they're sophomores this year. Uh, Nate Johnson got the bump up uh, when Jaquindon Jackson got moved over to running back. So Nate's gone a little more work. The little bits that I've heard is once Brandon Rose got the nod as the scout team guy, he mm-hmm. started showing some stuff and was impressive. So it's going to be interesting to see, especially I think those two guys get more reps. And then you have incoming freshmen this year, Matt Coward, the kid out of Mississippi, um, that has a lot of potential as well. So, I mean, he should be able to get some extra work. And I believe those are going to be the four main guys unless they show in spring that they just are not up to snuff and then Utah's maybe going to think about a transfer quarterback if they don't see the kind of progress that they want to from those guys I would be shocked if they don't um but but I think that's the the only way that they maybe go shopping in the transfer portal for a quarterback okay uh I want to get back to the rising storyline here in a moment but what else we got uh, I think another big storyline, you know, who replaces Clark Phillips? Well, that's I was getting. I, that's when I was hoping you would address it. What are they going to do there? Because JT Broughton is back for another year, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw. I know he's not a safety, uh, not a cornerback. He's a safety. Clayton Isbell announced he's going into the transfer portal, transferring, which thins out the safety group. Yeah. So what's the back end? I guess overall, what, what, what are we looking at? Because Clark obviously led that unit, but the back end of Utah's defense, what what do they got? Uh, I mean, so as far as like cornerbacks, I I think they're in really great shape. I mean, they have guys in Zamaya Vaughn and Fabian Marks that have played a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think either one of them probably can step up and step into that role. Uh, I mean, obviously, like Clark is special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to assume that either of them are going to be exactly like Clark isn't fair, but I think they bring their own flavor and their own specialness that could really develop into something awesome back there. Uh, you know, and then you have guys like Kane Savage and Kenzel Lawler that have been in the program for a little while. They haven't exactly made strides yet, but they're kind of maybe reaching that age, that point where they could start making a little more noise than they have in the past. And then, you know, uh, you have young guys that, that will be coming in, C.J. Blocker, Snowden Smith, um, Transfer Miles Battle. Smith Snowden. 
oh yes it's miss snowden <laughs> so sorry you know um Yes, I uh, yeah, and then of course the Mississippi State transfer in Miles Battle mm-hmm. is a guy that I think people are very intrigued with because um, he brings size. Well, he's big. He's yeah. big, <laughs> uh, and so I like I think they have talent to work with, and I wouldn't be shocked either if they don't start trying to rotate guys out more just to keep fresh legs because they do have a lot of returning experience that kind of got put through the fire in 2021 because of injuries. Uh, and, and so you just have more talent that's usable, understands and knows what it, what it's like to play in big games. Okay. So obviously my, my rule of thumb is I don't necessarily worry about Utah's defense by and large, uh, yeah. just under what They'll Kyle and, and, and Morgan Scally have done. They've got a track record. They, they, they just said they figure it out. Mm-hmm. They kind of just piece it together. But there are a bunch of names there that I'm actually I'm like yeah, I know that guy I know that guy too like, I'm just like okay that there's a pretty good and so I assume someone's going to be able to do something yeah someone's going to be able to do something I like I I'm not terribly worried about it but it's just going to be intriguing to see what they choose to do with the options they have okay so related to that obviously uh, a defensive back's best friend is a good pass rush and that's one of the storylines I wanted to ask you about is. Along the defensive line, last year to me felt like a little bit, I don't want to say a drop-off, but it was not their most stellar year along the defensive front. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. I I absolutely get that. I believe that was storyline number five for me. There you go. Uh, You know, seeing continued progress on the defensive line. Okay. uh, And it was one of those things especially the beginning of the year. They they kind mm-hmm. of calmed down. They got it together. They started looking a lot more like what we're used to a sure. Utah defensive line looking like towards mm-hmm. the end of the season. Uh, but that beginning of the year was really rough. They got pushed around a lot. They got bullied a lot. They weren't getting pressure. They weren't getting sacks. And then all of a sudden, about the last half of the season, they started rising, yeah. and, and they ended up finishing – First in the Pac-12 again, I believe it was either first or second. So top top end of the Pac-12, sure. and they definitely did not look like that at the beginning of the season. So they covered a lot of ground and made a lot of progress. Mm-hmm. I want to see them continue making that progress. I don't want to see the slow start this year. I think I think last year, and I I will readily admit I think I was a little bit guilty of this. I thought that they would just be further along, and I think truth be told. Still a little on the young side, probably still need to put some weight on in certain places. And unfairly, I just expected that they would be further along than they were. I feel like this year there's no excuses. Most of these guys have been doing this for about two seasons now. Like, it, it's time to put it all together. Yeah. And if you can't put it together, then, you know, there's going to have to be some uncomfortable conversations there. But, uh, I mean... You're bringing guys back like uh, Junior Tafuna, uh, Samote Peppa, uh, Jonah Ellis, Van Fillinger. Um, you know, these are all outside, inside guys, uh, but they have a lot of playing experience. And, and I just, I expect it to be a much better, smoother product this year. But I think a lot of that starts in spring and just kind of really setting the tone for when it comes time to kick off against Florida. Uh, and I would agree with that. Now, you talk about slow starts, and you absolutely have to avoid that this year. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, they're going to open on Thursday. We f- officially learned that this week, by the way. Yeah, it's I know. A, right? It's a Thursday opener. I know. Among of all the other storylines in sports this week, uh, Utah, Florida is going to be a Thursday. I'm. Uh, that's going to give uh, Utah an opportunity to get a pretty good sized win out of the gate if they can manage it. But they also have Baylor the following week. So you you can't have a slow start this yeah, year. Yeah, you you have to be ready to go. Like I'm. I, Pardon me using this analogy, but it's just it works. BYU traditionally has always in their independent era has always had a very fast start and slow end of the season. Mm-hmm. Whereas Utah it was usually a slow start, and I'm talking schedule wise, yeah. opponents. It was just kind of a slow, you know, okay, start, but it finished with a flourish with some mm-hmm. of the bigger names in the Pac-12. BYU is the complete opposite. They'd start really fast out of the gates, and you get into November, and you're like, who are they playing this week? And it's just what it is. This is more of a BYU type open to the schedule for Utah. And it's the first time they've really done it. Back-to-back Power 5 opponents. Mm -hmm. One of them, you're going to Waco. You have to go down to to Texas. And the heat that time of year in September, trust me, I've been in it. It's no fun. So looking forward to this again. Waco, yay. But you've got to avoid a slow start because you you start 0-2. And it can take a ton of the wind out of your cells. Oh, 1,000%. And, and I mean, a lot of this could have to do with, you know, is Cam Rising ready to go? How well did you develop the guy behind him to be mm-hmm. prepared enough to handle the moment? It just, again, defensive line, you're you're going against some big talent. Like, yeah. you can't just assume you're going to walk in and push these guys around without getting some pushback. You got to be ready to go. Okay, so there's a conversation that so David James had this with Scott Mitchell. We had Scott on on Thursday with with DJ with PK out, and they were talking about spring ball and all the different storylines. And it came to the Cam Rising one. I wanted to finish this segment with you on Cam Rising, and I, this is this is my concern, and I want to get your take on this because DJ brought this up, and Scott actually took it even further than DJ took it, which actually kind of surprised me. It's going to be eight months and change between Cam Rising having had that ACL reconstruction surgery, or Mm -hmm. repair, I guess what I should say, and the start of the season. That is a fairly, and DJ termed it an aggressive timeline. Right. It is. And Scott Mitchell, and I was was actually surprised, but Scott's like, I think it's way too aggressive, essentially. He said, this, they need to slow play this and make sure that he is good to go and make sure that he is ready when it's, once he takes the field, Scott essentially said he said I would. Uh, he didn't say this out and out, if I recall correctly, but I took the the feeling from it that Scott would be okay if Cam Rising missed not the non conference the first three weeks. You miss Florida, Waco, and uh, Baylor, and then who do they play? Who's the third opponent? It was is it Weber? State? Weber, yeah, Weber's coming in. He it felt like to me he's okay if Cam misses those three games. It gives him a little extra time, maybe an extra month or so, roughly. To have himself ready. Where do you stand on that? Because I do think eight months is an aggressive timeline. And the, the cautionary tell that I would have is all you got to do is look up at Logan. Right. With Logan Bonner. Right. He had ACL, re- it, was, it was a repair. He was nine-ish months, I think, once that once he got on the field. And he did not look right. What's your concern? I mean, it's a valid point, and, and it's one of those things I do trust. I don't think Utah purposely 
pushes people out before they're ready. No. I I don't think they are saying that they feel like Cam will be ready without having good reason to say so. Okay. However, if it comes to pass that, you know, something goes wrong, there's a setback, or he just gets out there and he doesn't feel comfortable, and it feels weird saying that because Cam is so tough, and I, I don't doubt for a second that he can will himself, empower himself sure, um, to, to handle that situation, to handle that moment. Uh, but why do it if you don't have to? Why I it, yeah. why 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 do that if you don't have to? And so it's it's one of those things. Yeah, like if if you see reason or sign that that timeline is no bueno for everybody involved, mm-hmm. don't push it. Like I, it, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to you guys. It's not worth it to him. And again, I like I would be shocked if they did. I would be shocked if they did. Like that that's just not how they've operated in the past. Sure. Uh but I I have talked to a couple of different people about ACL surgeries. Um I, Utah women's basketball with Paige McFarland, she is just starting to feel right a year later after her ACL surgery. And they're every, into they're into postseason again. And every person's different, by the way. Every person is different. We've seen, if I recall, there was a guy in the in the NFL, I'm trying to think who it was. It was a running back in my I think it was six months and he was back. Yeah. yeah. And that's like that's, that is super freaky. That's quick. The, that's the most aggressive. And the other thing about this is I don't know if we any if if you have any intel on this, was it just the ACL? My understanding is it was just the ACL. Okay. And that's actually going to help help because you have to be concerned about other ligaments, meniscus. There are there's other damage, right. nerve damage that can happen in that knee that can lengthen out the process. So, yeah, anyways. It, it sounded like it was pretty clean from what I okay. gathered, but I I mean I sure. don't think they've given a lot of details on that. <laughs> You're not looking at the medical file, am <laughs> I? Well, there was this. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, and I uh, just recently talked with uh, someone on the ski team mm-hmm. about an ACL and okay. and just that process. So I mean, uh, and both have kind of talked about it's it's the mental part more than even just the rehab part. The rehab part's fine. It's sure. the getting mentally okay with being back out there, knowing that when you go to plant on that leg, it's going to be fine. Try to make a cut that it's not going to give way like it did. And Every athlete who has been through that can tell you that exact thing. The, the doctors will tell you you're you're cleared. You are 100 percent medically. You get back out there. But there is hurdles in our psyche, in our brains, as athletes, and I'm, I'm including me, myself in this. I never had an, a knee injury, but I've talked with enough of them that there is a psyche. There's a you have to be on. You're you got to get past the fact that like okay, I got to go out there and I got to make that cut. When you make that first cut and it doesn't give way, and you're like. In some ways, it's almost like it's like Hot we're damn. good. We're good. This is great, <laughs> but it's getting to that point. Yeah. So, I for me, it's just you know I hope everybody is just mindful through the process mm-hmm. and, and monitors it as it needs to be monitored. Uh, it, it, it's the story that's gonna it's gonna carry over the everything else. That's the single storyline, and that's why I was like, I wanted you to get some of the other ones out of the way because I didn't want that to dominate the entire thing. Because true, it can dominate everything else. Oh yeah. So interesting stuff. Tuesday, first day, correct? Yes. All right. We'll be, of course, keeping our eye on KSLSports.com. Uh, Mitch Harper's doing great stuff on the BYU side. Me and him were out at uh, practice yesterday watching BYU. So some fun stuff. I uh, will make some of those notes in there. I've got a couple of things on that. Not as much 
on that side, but we'll get to some of that as we continue on right here on the Saturday show. Welcome back. It's a great song right here. A little slower, but good stuff. All right. Welcome back to the Saturday show. Michelle Bodkin, Jay Catch, along for the ride here. And uh, Michelle, uh, we typically in this segment do what we call five minutes of. So I, I want to kind of uh, talk about a couple of things. Uh, I mentioned the fact we talked Utah football and getting ready for spring ball. Obviously, there's all kinds of storylines on that front. BYU is now two weeks in uh, to their spring ball. And a lot of their storylines going in were... Uh, Obviously, the quarterback situation is Keaton Slovis looking the part. Uh, in the short, uh, what do you call it, the the spurts, I guess I'd call it, that we, we've been able to see as a media core, uh, Slovis has shown that he understands what BYU is trying to do. Obviously, looking good in practice versus looking good in games are two different things. Uh, I could I could name about... 10 different, at least 10 in my short time uh, covering college football of guys that were uh, what I like to call practice all-stars. Right. Like, look just absolutely phenomenal on the practice field. All of a sudden, they get in the game, and it was like, who's that? Because that's not what I... Like, what happened? Exactly. <laughs> so, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how he makes uh, the transition. Obviously, now this is his third college football program. The other thing about BYU is, I've got to say, Jay Hill is just energy personified. Hmm. Holy smokes, y'all. I, I I knew his reputation. I, he'd done really, really good things at Weber State. Right. Was very highly thought of at Utah. But, oh my goodness. He is, like, the energy level. He is just everywhere and anywhere at all times. Uh, I was talking with, who was I talking with? Somebody down there at BYU. And they brought up the point that uh, he is just... He's lifting with the team. He's in the weight room, like tapping guys on the He's engaged in every aspect of this program. His official title is defensive coordinator and associate head coach. And Michelle, I got to tell you, he is just, he is as engaged with BYU as I've seen anybody in many, many years. Well, I think, I, I think he needs to be. And I'll say this, it's BYU's had a very critical conjecture where they don't necessarily have all the horses they need, sure, but they need buy-in. The best way you can get guys to buy in and work 10,000 times harder is if you show that you're willing to work 10,000 times harder. And I think that's exactly what Jay's doing. And that's how you endear guys to go a little above and beyond mm-hmm. their punching weight. Well, and, and that exactly, I th- you nailed it because you're right. They are going into the Big 12 here and... <laughs> I look at what BYU is going up against, and I do think that they have they've tried to prepare themselves as much as possible, like investment wise. Like they're investing, I I I could lay out everything they've invested in, and I wouldn't even I get all of it in terms of the overall investment from the athletic department and football and the other sports. BYU spending more money than they ever have. Mm-hmm. Just suffice it to say that. But you're right. In the football side of things, that's what drives everything. And I loved uh, – this is going back to that conversation we had at the end of the uh, 10 o'clock hour about the Pac-12 versus Big 12 debate. Robert C. Robbins was very upfront about – he's like, hey, 
yeah, I want Arizona basketball in the Big 12. It'd be phenomenal to have that. But football drives this thing. Yeah. Football is driving the boat. And that, so getting back to BYU here, you're right. Buy-in can do a lot to help build BYU up to what they aspire to be. And I just got to say, I am super impressed with Jay Hill. Just because he easily could have come in and said, I'm the defensive coordinator. I'm caring about my guys over here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the defense playing their thing. He is just as engaged with his defensive players, and he coaches the safeties. He, he is just as engaged with any one of his safeties, Malik Moore, on down that list of the safeties there, as he is with a running back or a third-string wide receiver. It's really, really fun to see, and it's really, in many ways, re-energized this program. And, they, and you're right. They absolutely needed it going into the Big 12. Yeah, uh, that that's one of the ways that you kind of cover up some deficiencies until you can actually address them. Uh, and, and I mean, just look at Utah and how their coaches operate. How many offensive guys have said <laughs> they hang out with Morgan Scally? Yeah, or Sharif Shaw, or so there's cross interest everywhere. I know a lot of the defensive players love Quinton uh, Quinton Qu- Ganther. Quinton Ganther, yeah. like. It's important to have that cross, I think, and have all of the coaches invested in everything that's going on and not just their group. That's how you build camaraderie. That's how you get everybody on the same page. That's how you get everybody working towards a common goal. Mm -hmm. And it has to start with the coaching staff. And you're right because they they set the tone for the culture. They can talk all the time about having a uh, a player-run program. But the coaches set the tone. If they don't see it modeled, why why would the players why would the players run it? Well, and the other thing is that these are impressionable young men, 18, 19, 20 years old. Like they're they they need good examples of what leadership is that they can emulate. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to come off as saying that the the previous defensive staff at BYU was bad because they weren't. They had a lot of good experience. Ed Lamb had done incredible things at Southern Utah. And by the way, I expect him to make Northern Colorado actually a viable Big Sky program. He's proven that he can do that. The problem was is that it had gotten stale. Yeah, and that sometimes happens. That sometimes mm-hmm. happens. I mean, I you look at maybe you know someone like Guy Holiday, very great coach. Yeah, love Guy Holiday. Mm-hmm. But sometimes your time just kind of runs out someplace and, yeah. and you're no longer making the progress that you need to be making. And that sucks. You you hate letting people <laughs> like that go because he's a good guy uh, and he, he's done a lot of great things for you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there there has to be a balance of pushing things forward, moving things forward and still being a really great guy. Well, and some of the genius of Kyle Whittingham in particular, that some of the Kalani Satake I think is trying to emulate, is that Kyle has never let it truly get stale. Mm-hmm. Think about it. His his run is legendary, especially in this day and age of college football. Right. There's a reason why he is so like, beloved by the national media, because he's had an incredible run. He has never let it. He's never let it just kind of die on the vine. Kyle's getting towards the end. We all know this. It's, yeah. it's the open secret that if you think that he's going to stick around for 10 more years, I would tell you to reevaluate. Yeah, that that would be pushing it. <laughs> yeah, but to his credit, he's been at Utah for so long. And it so easily could have been, I, this is how we do things at Utah. Mm-hmm. And it can get old. It just, it, it, it. when you do the same thing over and over again, eventually the, the lessons are like, okay, okay we, we got it, coach. Yeah. 
to Kyle's credit, he has reinvented himself so many times. And that's the mark of a really good coach. And I got to give Kalani Satake credit. I've seen Kalani. I've covered him from day one of him showing up in Provo to today. To Kalani's credit, he has tried to. He, he's learned some hard lessons along the way. Kyle did too. You have to. It's the only way you get better. But to their credit, is they have they have tried to keep things relevant and make changes when necessary. Do I think that Kalani has taken longer than a guy like Kyle Whittingham might have on certain things? Yes, I do. But I also think that there are machinations inside the Utah athletic department, Utah football program that are different than how BYU and the BYU football program operates that may have led to some of those things. The the nice part is I think fans here locally just understand that both of these head coaches and these coaching staffs, there's total buy-in. Mm-hmm. They, they, these two, Kalani and Kyle, have surrounded themselves by guys that they're not just yes-men. They're not just these guys' homies that they hired to take a role. They're guys who are going to go out there and the they're hell-bent on proving themselves. It, it, and so much of that's because bonus, they, <laughs> like, they don't have to be homies, but they are homies. Yes. They, they've yeah. all worked it, together. Yeah. They all have worked together. They all they have relationships, yeah. understand uh-huh. what it takes because they've all kind of come from the same place. <laughs> Come on, you can trace all the way back to Lavelle Edwards. It came off the branch to Kyle Whittingham, or Fred Whittingham to Kyle Whittingham, and it's branched out from there. And now it's it's at both programs. Anyways, continue. splash some Ron McBride in there. <laughs> sure, yeah, it's but, just it's yeah, yeah. There there is a very very linear path to how all of this has kind of shaken out and come to be at both programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I I think there's a reason why it works. Yeah, well, I think I there's a reason why it works. And so that so I if you're if you're a BYU fan looking for something, just understand that Jay Hill he has come in and it just it, it, there's there, it's re-energized the entire program. He easily like I said he easily could have come in and said, all right, uh, I'm stepping down from being a head coach. I'm just going to focus on my defense over here. He he's he's literally taken the defensive. And by the way, the defensive thing is one thing, but he's taken also that title of associate head coach and understood you know what, I've got to be in all facets of this i gotta be engaged and i i'm excited i think that alone you're right it could cover up some of the deficiencies because byu does have deficiencies that's readily apparent if you look at that roster but it, this first year in the big 12 i think just the the, the vibes I, that's that's a real mm-hmm. that's a real the vibes could be really really different for byu even if they're actually record wise worse than they have been in the last three or four years and one other point i yeah. want to make is Credit to Kalani for not being threatened by Jay Hill sure, being yeah. involved. That also takes a big person. Yeah, Head coaches sometimes have a lot of ego, and their thing is their thing, and you uh-huh. all better step off and just do what I tell you to. Yeah. And, and to Kalani's credit, to allow Jay to come in mm-hmm. and be such a big part of and, and, again, not get the hackles up and – Ooh, you're kind of stepping on my turf, and ooh, I, I don't want guys thinking that you're the one in charge because I'm the one in charge. And sure, it, it takes a really big person, and I think that was something that Kyle had to actually learn is to actually let go of stuff and let other people handle it. So yeah, delegate. Yes, there is there is wisdom in that, and there is wisdom in the, that. And uh, yeah, anyways, it's just it's very. It's 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 interesting to watch BYU how they're operating right now, at least in spring ball. And could it be a facade? Sure, 
but anything can be a facade out there. You'll find out really quickly when the bullets start flying. Exactly. If if the attitude immediately <laughs> changes, yeah, it was like then, okay, yeah, it was all a dog and pony show. And exactly, but it, but if they can keep with that, even when things get hard, and things will get hard. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Oh, they'll, I, I, they'll, they'll get hard. I don't think BYU fans are any, under any illusion that they're going to waltz into the Big 12 here and run that conference now. I don't, I don't think the hard times will last forever, but sure. it, it's going to be hard for a while. But if they can keep that same attitude, they'll eventually figure out how to turn it around. It'll be interesting. All right. Uh, well, I meant to talk to you about some other stuff here, but we'll talk about that on the other side. We'll take a break here. <laughs> Have a little extra, I guess, a longer final segment. Uh, got a couple more things I want to touch on uh, on the RSL front. Also, with regards to just uh, what we expect from the weekend to come in in basketball. We'll get to all that next. This is the Saturday show on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Sleeping in my bedroom and her mama laughing in my arms. There's a sound of rain on the rooftop and the game's about to start. I don't really know how I got here, but I'm so glad that I did. And it's crazy to think that one. Welcome back to the Saturday show. I've... Sarah, good call on Darius Rucker today. I'm actually probably bumping him driving home. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I don't re- like. I don't often listen to all of his music, uh-huh. but like he has some good songs. Well, he- I only listen to like the popular ones. But then after doing this, I was like, man, I need to add a few more songs to my playlist. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And here's the thing: I, I'm like Michelle. Growing up, country was not my thing. It just it just wasn't. It, like, I was p- punk pop, alternative, mixing some hip hop, like like Nelly that type of stuff. Okay. I was I was actually okay. Funny story. Do you remember? A story about Nelly coming to Utah and doing an outdoor concert at UVU. This is, I think you actually told me about this off air. Okay, so time. this is goes back to 2004, and this is when Nelly's like in his heyday. Like, yeah. I'm in high school. No, I was even younger than that. I remember in like 01 or 02. So I actually looked up the story. Uh, I, I pulled it up randomly because my wife asked me about it because my oh, mom, yeah. my mom, she still loves nah, that that concert. I had to call the cops. And like, here's the thing. Growing up, that was like the wheelhouse. I was like, this is great. Because that concert, I lived to the west of Utah Valley University. It was then UVSC. Okay. I wasn't far off campus. But that concert was taking part at, taking place at Brent Brown Ballpark, okay. which is the baseball stadium. Complete opposite side of that campus. It's got to go all the way up the hill. Michelle, that concert, you could hear that clear as day at my house. And <laughs> it caused all kinds of phone calls. <laughs> But that's the thing. So country for me, it, the people got mad about that. But I, I was, I was the guy who was like, "This is great! I can listen to the concert. I have to actually pay to go to it. I get to hear all the music. Like, this, this, <laughs> this is awesome. awesome. This is great." But country for me was always like, "Yeah, no, nah, I'm out. Like, it ain't my thing." As I've gotten older, I've actually started to really come to appreciate con- uh, country because 
I'm like you. Hootie and the Blowfish was my introduction to Darius Rucker. Yeah. From, through my dad mainly. And I love Hootie and the Blowfish. But I got to admit, Darius Rucker was one of the first, first country guys. I was like, okay, I can get with this. I, I like this a lot. I don't know. One of those weird things. You, it's fine. I just, I wouldn't choose it. But. Oh, sure. Well, well, trust me. PK, I would have never picked him for a country guy. And he is all in like Old Dominion, Kenny Chesney. Whoa. BK, he's going to see Old Dominion, I think, four or five times this year alone. You think I'm joking? I'm not joking. Okay, PK. Yeah. He's seen Kenny Chesney, I don't know how many times. Huh. Like, he'll tell you. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's one of those interesting things as to where your introduction to certain genres, and even not just music, but like how things get introduced into your life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We were just talking, we were talking about ramen in the break, like. I loved, like, Top Ramen growing up. I didn't realize there were, like, more, like, I went to Taiwan on my mission. They have an entire aisle dedicated to different types of ramen noodle. Just ramen. It, wow. Every, I mean, I get that, though. Every flavor of any variety you can imagine on one aisle. I, I remember the first time, I'm like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> so Amazing. Yeah, but it's just huh. one of those interesting things. All right. Um, so before we go here... Uh, are you expecting Utah to take care of Princeton tomorrow, Utah, the Utah women? I, that would be my assumption. I, I'm expecting to blow them out. And if that's the case, guess who's hopping on a plane to South Carolina? Yay! Me! All right. <laughs> where, where are they playing? It would be... Greenville. At, Greenville, okay. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yeah. I've never been to Greenville. Yeah. Uh, th- Thursday has the potential to be a very busy day because that's Utah's pro day. Sure. And I will do that and literally have to drive to the airport to oh, hop so you, on so a plane. So you'll be flying Thursday to yeah. get down there. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll see. Everybody, root for Utah to win tomorrow because we need to send Michelle to South, South Carolina. Carolina. Go to Greenville. I don't know what this, I don't know anything in Greenville. but I know nothing about it. I looked at a map. It's close to Knoxville. It's like a three-hour drive to Knoxville. I have a cousin that lives in Knoxville. Ah, okay. And I kind of want to be like, hey, you want to drive three hours to come and see me? I don't think I don't think he would, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's rude. It's, I mean, I get it. Like, three hours is still kind of a lot. It's, it's n- compared to Knoxville to Salt Lake, sure. it's not. Okay. But, yeah, no. but, like, and with the, like, I, I'm sure it's going to be like crunch time and, and, and stuff like that, too, with my schedule. But, yeah, I, I'm like, ugh. Well, here's here's something funny. You know Furman, who we're watching right now? Oh, yeah. Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, okay. There you go. I don't know. Just, the more you know. I know. I just literally pulled that up. It's also got Bob Jones University. He's also in Greenville, South Carolina. All right. March Madness, not just entertaining, you're, but educational yeah. as well. You're flying into Charlotte, I would assume, right, if you go? Uh, there's oh. like a Greenville. Oh, there's a Greenville. Okay, yeah. cool. Even better. All right, there you go. So, root for Utah. I, here's the thing. I expect Utah to make a run here. I, I think at worst for the Utah women, Elite Eight. They, they they have to get to the Elite Eight. And see, I was thinking Sweet Sixteen. Get to okay. get to the Sweet Sixteen. That's a step just, better than you like did last two, year. As a two seed, though. Yeah, maybe for perception's sake. I just, I still kind of worry about. I think they're a little undersized. Okay. And I think the further you go, the more that's going to start showing up. You think they could get chewed up a little bit with some of these bigger teams? I mean, they, they've proven that they can handle their own in it, but it's, yeah. 
how how long, especially now that we're starting to get into like road game parts of it, how sure. how long are you able to kind of keep that up? And maybe they can, but like it's just one of those things for me trying to be like reasonable about it. <laughs> like I, I I can foresee that perhaps being an issue. It's going to be interesting because this has been a phenomenal season for Lynn Roberts. And oh, amazing. And it's crazy to think about. Not only three years ago, were they what, five and nine? They, they, Something they, like that. It was not good. But it's it's a, it's an incredible transformation they've had. And so I don't know. That's just me. I just I think the Elite Eight is the barometer for success for me. I guess that's just I'm like it's a two seed. You obviously were seated. You have the home, the first two rounds yeah. at home. You're seated to make it to the Sweet 16. And you got a Greenville, South Carolina, and we'll see where the chips fall. So, all right. Well, maybe next week we'll be talking to you from South Carolina. South Carolina. All right. Potentially. We'll find out tomorrow. All right. Well, uh, we'll look forward to that. We'll, of course, keep uh, up on all your work at kslsports.com. Keep it locked here on The Zone all week long as well. Well, full reaction to the opening weekend of the NCAA men's basketball tournament right now. Uh, San Diego State taking it to Furman, 59-37, to 37, 10 minutes to go in that game. But full coverage of that on 1280 AM. And also we'll be switching over here once we wrap this up. So I'll get out of the way so you guys can, you know, listen to March Madness. All right. <laughs> for Michelle, I'm Jake. And for Sarah, have a great rest of your day. This has been the Saturday Show right here on 97.5. FM, the KSL Sports Zone. See ya. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately... We're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.